Numbers chapter 13 and verse number 25. If you have found that, please say amen. Amen. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. They went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Somebody say the fruit. The fruit of the land was the substance of their promise. Literally holding within their hand the proof that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. They had the proof in their hand. They had substance. Somebody shout substance. They had substance in their hand showing them this is the fruit of the land. And they told him, listen to this now. They said, we came to the land That you sent us, and surely it flows. It was like it dawned on them. You you weren't lying at all. It really does flow with milk and honey. And you can see it in the words. They they had it in their hand. They said, and this, this is the fruit of it right here. Somebody shout the fruit of it. We've got it in our hands, and we want you to know that we saw the fruit of it. Verse 28, nevertheless, or we could say, but. We have the fruit in our hands, but the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now watch this. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they're in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And they started pointing north, south, east, and west. And they said, everything that we want to protect, there's all, that, we want to, that we want to take, it's already protected by somebody else. Now, we've got the fruit that says it's ours. But we don't have the faith to believe that we can take it. And everywhere we look, we see it. But verse 30, I love this. Caleb stilled the people. Now, I'm going to say something you probably tell your kids not to say. But the Bible said that Caleb looked at them and said, shut your mouth. He stilled them. He said, you got fruit in your hands. And you're standing here saying God can't do it. You've got fruit in your hands. And Caleb stilled them. I love this. Caleb got excited. He said, let us go up at once. He said, let us go up right now and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. I feel like preaching that right there. Somebody ought to shout that, for we are well able. We are well able. We are well able. I'm going to try that one more time. We are well able to overcome it. Here it comes again. This conjunction shows up all the time. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land... That eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. They went on to say, we saw giants, and we're in our eyes as grasshoppers, and we think we are in their eyes too. But I want to preach to you tonight something that the Lord's been dealing with me about for the last several days. Well, I've been traveling on the road. I just kept feeling this little nagging in my spirit. I got to looking at this. Now, I'm going I'm to get ahead of myself right here and tell you what I'm preaching before I get to it. But they, they come to a place where they finally start seeing what they had been hearing. And when they finally started seeing what they had been hearing, 
they realized how much it was going to cost to take it. And I used to stand and wonder and look at this chapter and think, man, how, how can they be so afraid that they're going to fail because we know God is with them. But what I'm going to preach to you tonight, I feel like is directly from the heart of God. I don't believe that they were afraid of failing. I don't believe they were afraid of losing. I believe they had a fear of winning. And tonight I'm going to preach to you about the fear of winning. You may be seated in the mighty name of Jesus. There is so much in this story that I wish I had time in one service to lay the groundwork for it, although I don't. Tonight, I want to be certain that no one is left in the dark on where we are. This is the children of Israel that they had sent 12 spies into the land to see if they'd be able to take it. And the Bible said that out of the 12 that went into the land, that two of them came out saying, we can. And that 10 of them came out saying, we just can't do it. And uh, I used to really, really wonder how in the world it had to have felt to, to stand knowing that for 40 days they had a taste of their inheritance. For 40 days they walked throughout the land that flowed with milk and honey. And every time they would see milk and they would see honey, they had to know that God was in it. Every time they saw a vineyard that had great fruit in it, they had to know that God was in it. Because the word of the Lord said they would possess a land that flowed with milk and honey. And the word of the Lord told them that they would possess a land and that they would eat from vineyards. They did not plant. And they would live in houses that they did not build. But as they drew close to fulfilling the promises of God in their life. And what I believe was the perfect will of God in their life. They began to realize how much it was going to cost them to possess. And uh, as I said, I'm going to get ahead of myself just a little bit. But I used to read this and think how much sense it made that when they walked in, it would be a little intimidating. When they saw all of the land that was covered and they saw the children of Anak, they saw the giants and they knew that there were walled cities and it was going to be a tough place. But for the first time, in my life this week, it dawned on me that all this was was shrouded in false humility as they blamed it on the giants and they blamed it on the walled cities. They actually let the cat out of the bag when they made this statement in the midst of all that they saw. They said the land that we walked through, the land that we searched was a land that eateth up its inhabitants. Another way that you could translate the Hebrew in this verse is to say it is a land that consumes its people. It is a land that literally overtakes its people. Every day and every night, these people are consumed with harvest. Every day and every night, they are consumed with work. And as they stood and looked, you have to understand the posture and position that they were in. These were people who literally dwelt next to the Shekinah glory of Almighty God. They woke up every day of their lives for six days out of the week. And there was manna laying on the ground. God provided for them. They didn't have to go get their own meal. They didn't have to go kill their own quail. God provided for them when they opened up their tent door and they looked there was a glory cloud hanging the Shekinah glory hanging over that earthly tabernacle every day they dwelt next to the presence of God every day God provided everything that they would need but the closer they got to the promise they realized we may have to step out of the current provision that we have and step into a land that's going to consume us I'm not here tonight to cut any corners 
But I'm here to preach to you tonight that if we're going to have the revival that God has promised us, it's not going to come with us hiding out in our tents and waiting on the glory cloud to move. It's going to come when we possess the promises of God. I've come to tell you tonight, church, that if we're going to have breakthrough revival, you hear your pastor tonight when I tell you it's going to cost everything you've got. It's going to cost everything you've worked for. If we're going to have revival... It's going to consume us. So the desire is to have and possess the promise. But the purpose in letting them walk through was not for them to come out and talk about how terrible it was. It was for God to give them a taste of good things. But as I surveyed my heart this week and sought the Lord for direction this weekend, I began to realize that these these people, this was a group of people, that it did not matter how much you showed them the promise. They didn't have it settled in their heart that that's what God wanted for them. You know, the thing about our movement that's so interesting in Pentecost, and I believe this with all my heart, There's nobody that stands at the finish line of what we're doing and wonders if it was worth it. But we are a movement of people that everybody that stands at the starting block has to win a war in their mind as to whether or not it's worth it. And when we start to serve the Lord, everybody starts counting the cost. And saying, well, I really don't know if I want to give this up. And I really don't know if I want to give that up. And I really don't know if I want to live like that. And I really don't know if I want to be separate like that. And and, and we start getting into these debates that create debacles as to whether or not the things that have been necessary are necessary anymore. So let me just preach to you where we are tonight. We're never going to possess our promises and inherit the promises of God until we get some things settled in our spirit I've come to tell you tonight that I'm not sitting at a table of debate with the world as to whether or not the new birth is required for me to enter or see the kingdom of heaven it's a necessity you must be born again In this day and time, we have come to our own personal councils of Nicaea where we sit down at tables and we debate things and we talk about things that should not be up for discussion. I want to tell you tonight that we live in an age where people are willing to vacillate on doctrine and they're willing to vacillate and capitulate on the things that they have always thought were to be the truth. But I feel like tonight that if we've ever experienced pressure from the darkness of this world, we are experiencing it in a measure like we have never seen seen before. There is a pressure on the church right now. There is pressure in the pulpits right now. It is the pressure to cave in under the pressure of all of this societal mess. Hey, I want to tell you right now, I don't care how many parades they have. I don't care how many clubs they have. I don't care what they put together. I've already settled it in my heart. I want to tell you, you're not going to get to heaven and be surprised about people that are there that refuse to be baptized in Jesus' name. You're not going to get to heaven and be surprised to find a bunch of people who did not receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If that's what we found, that would make Jesus a liar. I'm going to be honest, I don't care what they paint on their church sign. It don't matter to me if they got a $150,000 digital sign. Put whatever you want on the sign. The name that's on the sign is not what he's looking for. He didn't come to just say Pentecostals. He didn't just come to save one kind of religious sect. He came to save people that were willing to abase themselves and repent of their sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
I, I refuse to stand at a council of any kind with anybody for any reason trying to convince me that the new birth is not necessary. Well, Pastor, they need to know. Look, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I want you to hear me well. It would surprise you how many people know. <laughs> Brother, Brother Booker was telling this story the other day. And he said that there was a man that pastored a large church in, uh, in Little Rock. It's a denominal church. And he had flown out to, uh, uh, to Southern California. Uh, this man had, had uh, there, there, there was a man that had been saved and had got involved with Teen Challenge. And uh, when he left Teen Challenge, uh, when, when he was done with it, he went to leave. And he told them, they, they said, we want you to come work for us. He said, no, I can't work for you. He'd been through the program. He said, I can't work for you because I'm oneness. They said, well, we know you're oneness. But we want you to stay. He said, we, we, we know your theology, but we want you to stay with us. And so uh, with Teen Challenge, they had had some guest speakers and preachers come in through their organization. And this man that pastored a large denominal church in Little Rock came in. And this young man that had been, had been saved and converted was this man's ride from the airport. So he, he went and picked him up. And uh, when the preacher got in the car, he looked at this boy and he said, So they tell me you're oneness. He said, oh, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I am. I mean, that's a pretty good way to start a conversation. Tell me you're oneness. Oh, yes, sir, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm oneness. And he said, you're like one of them Jesus name baptizers. He said, oh. Yes, sir, been baptized in Jesus' name. He said, uh, he was scratching for everything he could to get a conversation with the guy. And he said, so uh, where are you from? He said, well, I pastor a such and such church in Little Rock, Arkansas. He said, he said uh, yes, sir, yeah, we have a church there. He said, uh, you know Brother Joel Holmes? And that preacher said, yes, I do. He said, Brother Holmes is one of my dearest friends. Which was funny because later that day, Brother Holmes kind of giggled. And he said, I believe I'd seen the man three times in my life. <laughs> he said, he said, Brother Holmes is one of my dearest friends. Are y'all still with me in this story? Because I'm, I'm fixing to take you somewhere. This man is there to preach for Teen Challenge. He looked over at this man and he said, you know y'all are right, don't you? He said, excuse me? He said, you know y'all are right, don't you? He said, well, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, let me tell you something, son. He said, if I wasn't fifth generation in what I'm in right now, I'd be one of you. But I can't walk away. God have mercy. I can't walk away because I counted the cost. I'm talking to me now. I'm not quoting him anymore. But this is exactly what we see right here. When people get to the starting line, they start counting the cost. I cannot imagine having the conversation with God on judgment day that I knew it was right. But I refused to be baptized in Jesus' name because I would be chastised by my friends. I'm not going to sit down at a table and debate things that they've already recognized. There's only one way to God. And Jesus said, you don't come to the Father but by me. If it wasn't for what it cost me in my church, if it wasn't for what it cost me in my organization, I would be one of you. If it wasn't what it would cost me in my family, I would be one of you. I'm not here to be mean tonight, but I want to stir up the water and I want to tell you I don't care what it costs. It's worth it to be saved. Whatever you've got to do, it's worth it to be saved.
Nobody wants to talk about this. Everybody likes to pick the parts of what Jesus said that they like. They like, they like to pick it to pieces and get the part that feels good. But Jesus called a man and said, come after me. He said, my father died. He said, let the dead bury the dead. He told his disciples, he said, leave your boat. Leave everything you got. Listen, folks, I don't know what you've heard on Christian radio and TBM. But I'm going to tell you, this is not just a call to have a good life. This is a call to die. He said, if any man comes after me, he's going to deny himself. He's going to take up his cross and follow me. At some point, you got to give something up. you got to lay something down. I would hate to live my life knowing I was that close to the truth. Can't imagine being so close to the truth. But as Bishop Johnny James used to say all the time, almost saved is always lost. I wish that I could paint a pretty picture for you tonight about the mercy of God. But let me tell you what mercy is. Mercy is that God gave us his word. Mercy is that God sent us a preacher. Mercy is that God gave us a heads up. Mercy is that when I buy in and I make a mistake, mercy picks me back up. But mercy is not me hearing the truth and walking away from it and saying, I'm going to trust your mercy. Holy, holy. I'll never understand. I can't wrap my mind around it. And I'm, I'm not here to please know my heart tonight. I'm not here to be derogatory. I'm not here to be negative. But I'm just telling you, if we're going to possess some things, it's going to cost us something. And I will never understand. I will never in my life understand unless it's just a spirit of deception. And it must be why people that have held true to this apostolic doctrine are beginning to lose their grip the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. I'll never understand why people are laying down convictions that they used to hold dear and near to their heart and saying, God, don't care about that anymore. Folks, I, maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but I just believe that if God cared about it yesterday, God cares about it today. Maybe I've just lost my mind, but I don't believe the Lord changed his mind when he said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You know, I want this to be crystal clear tonight, and I sure don't want to be crucified for what I'm saying. But you know what? I realize the kingdom of God is probably a little bit bigger than my convictions. I have people in my life that I'm connected to very closely that don't, they don't share some of the same convictions that I do. And I don't have a problem meeting people at a place where I'm not talking about compromise in, in the negative context. But, you know, really life is all about compromise to an extent. If, if you're going to stay married, you have to compromise. If, if, if you're going to stay in a local assembly, in a church, you have to compromise. If you're going to build relationships with people, you're going to have to compromise. You, you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not, we use that word in a negative context all the time. But it's true. Life is filled with compromise. If you're going to have a happy marriage, it's not 50-50. It's like. I give you everything I got. You give me everything you've got. And, and we're going to make this thing work out. We're, we're, we're going to make it. You know, we need, a, we need a lot more of that in this day and time. We need some people that are willing to say this marriage is worth fighting for. We need some people that are saying my family's worth fighting for. And if I got to compromise on a few things, I'll do it to make sure my family's saved. But hear me tonight.
I, I don't have an issue fellowshipping with some people over things that maybe I don't do. You know, my family and I personally do not have television. But I have friends that do. And I don't, I don't think that I'm any more spiritual than they are. That's conviction that God has given me. But let me tell you where I have a problem. I have a problem with people that used to believe it was sin. And would stand behind the pulpit and declare it's sin. But tonight, they've been liberated. And, and, and they'll say, you know, I, I'm not convicted about that anymore. So, so did God lift the conviction or did you get carnal? I used to, used to be convicted about the way that I dressed, but I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. Really? So, so who changed your mind? Because my Bible said I'm God and I change not. We used to preach on worship and, and, and the power of worship and the liberating power of the Holy Ghost. But we don't talk about that anymore because we want all our guests to feel comfortable. Church family, listen to me. This is the craziest time in the history of mankind to be laying your convictions down. If God puts something in you, you better hold on to that until the rapture of the church or until he calls you out of here. And, and I want to be clear. That not everything in my life that I do and don't do, has it's really not just sin. You understand what I'm saying? I, it, it, it's not just that it's sin. And, and I, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but TV's a prime example because preachers used to get up and hammer on TV. That's like the least of our worries these days. I was being honest. I mean, my, my God, do whatever you want to. Throw TVs on the floor, smash them. I'm, you had not fixed nothing. Because the problem is not in a box. The problem's in the heart of the man. You can't, you can't preach against everything. At some point, you got to let the Holy Ghost work in your life. At some point, you got to let the Spirit lead you and guide you into all truth. Well, preacher, I'll work out my own salvation. That's all right, as long as you do it with fear and trembling. My Lord, here we are this close to the rapture, and people still trying to decide if it's worth it or if it's necessary. God help me in here tonight. I can't, I can't tell you it was because I didn't ask permission, but I was just in a conversation yesterday with a preacher who told me about a family in their church. He said this, their little boy was doing so good. They said he'd learned to play music and was a great musician, was on the platform. Summer rolled around, and his mom and dad got him hooked up on a ball team and uh, started missing church. And so the mom, mom and dad met with the pastor, and the pastor said, hey, look, don't. Don't do this. Your kid's doing good things for God. Don't, don't do that. And they said, my kid needs this. And they need to learn what a team is all about. And so this last week, they made this post on Facebook. They had their kid and their big old ball team and everybody there. And it said they hadn't been, hadn't been faithful to church at all. But on their Facebook, they had the ball team. It said nothing like a day with family. I want to say, you know what you've done? You've, you've picked your kid's family. If you teach your kids that this is family, if you'll teach your kids that this is teamwork, if we all pull together, I'm just telling you right now, I'm not going to feed our kids to the wolves of this world. I don't say much about this very often, but I'm going to do it tonight. 
And I'm just going to tell you, I wish, I, I wish that everybody in this church could have their kids in our school. And I know it's impossible because of distance and different things. But I'm going to tell you something. The further we go, and I know we've got precious teachers in this church, and they know my heart. They know I'm not throwing darts. I thank God for them. And, and they're a light where they're at. But I want you to listen to me. The further we go, the less choice we're going to have of where we put our kids. I'm going to tell you what God's going to do, and this is what I'm believing God for. And if I'm stupid for making this remark, then I'll just be out of count. But I'm going to tell you what, what God's going to do. God's going to help us. And we're going to get to the place where all these precious teachers that are investing, we're going to be able to pick them up and hire them at PCA. God's going to use their gifts and talents. I want you to listen to me. Last year, my wife and I and the girls had gone to get ice cream or something. We're on a back road. And what was considered to be one of the most conservative schools in this area within driving distance was having their homecoming parade. And my family and I had to pull over on the side of the road to let the parade go by. And we're like, oh, look how cute. Yeah, all right, good. Yeah, yippee. And this, this trailer or float, whatever, came by. And the whole trailer was pride Kids dressed as opposite sex. And we had a member of, of our church that had worked in that community that let us know that they were allowing their teachers to fly that flag in their classrooms. I'm not hating on people. You understand that. If you know my heart, you know better than that. I want God to heal every one of them. I want God to strengthen every one of them. But I'm going to make you a promise. There'll never be a pride club at PCA. Ain't gonna happen. If you walk upstairs right now and you walk out of the lobby of this church right now, there's two bathrooms. One's for the men. And one's for the women. And I'm not saying this to hype you up. I'm telling you, I'm not sitting down at that table at all. I'll never have to fight with a school board over what my kids are being taught. I know North Vern's a long drive from here. But I was proud last week when Cadence graduated, a Holy Ghost-filled, apostolic girl, letting her light shine. You know what? God's going to help us. And we're going to see growth like we've never seen. You know, you know what's going to happen, don't you? You know what's going to happen? Is we're going to get to the place. Well, we're going to have to set the rules because we're, we're out of space right now. That our filtering process is going to be that if you want to come to this school, then you have to come to this church. Maybe, maybe you missed what I'm saying there. They ain't going to church anywhere. And they got some kids that they want to get out of the world system. And we say to them, hey, we love for your kids to come. But you need to be in church every weekend. You know what's going to happen? Mom and daddy's going to come in here on the weekend and say, whoa. There's more to this than just education. not trying to be too bold tonight you know my heart but I'm telling you if I had to move closer to get my kids I'd do whatever I had to do to get them and I'm gonna tell you why listen my daughter graduated from here this is not a sales pitch I don't care I don't make any more money I don't care who comes here I don't make any money on the school matter of fact we don't make any money on the school 
This church don't make any money on the school. But, but I'm going to tell you, my daughter graduated from this school last year. And, and her college has paid 100% for her education the last year. There's, there is more to this school than just the education that they get. But when she walked into that college and they looked at her stuff, they said, you, you, were, you were homeschooled? And then you went to Christian school. My daughter that went to PCA is on the dean's list. And she's getting a free education because of her great, listen, don't, don't, don't tell me, don't, don't tell me that our kids can't get it. But I'm going to tell you what else they're getting. Come here, LG. I'm going to tell you what else they're getting. They're showing up at this school and in chapel on a Friday. They're raising their hand. God have mercy. And they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I'm going to tell you, a couple years ago, this boy didn't know much about it. But this year... He gave his first sermon in youth service. God's got his hand on his life. He's been filled with the Holy Ghost. Baptized in Jesus' name. I didn't make all of them this year, but I was in probably 90% of the chapels that we had on Friday this year, and I'd walk in that chapel on Fridays, and the youth pastor of this church would stand up before our kids, and we kept the cycle going. They put it up on the screen, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Akkad, hear O Israel. I'm telling you, I'm not willing to sit down at a table and discuss whether or not that's necessary. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. God help us tonight. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord. I feel him here right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know sometimes y'all probably feel like I just get up here and push and push and push. But I'm telling you something. It's time for this body to feel the weight of eternity that's weighing on this generation. I I said it this morning and I'll say it again. I have never felt, I've been doing this all my life. I have never felt the pressure in the pulpit that I feel right now. Ever. I have never felt the pressure on the church that I feel right now. It is exhausting at best the pressure that I feel coming against the church. And if you think it's tough, put your seatbelt on. I I told my wife the other day, I said, I'm going to have to learn how to measure my rest a little better. Because I I can't wait until I get burned out and then rest. Because the pressure that's coming against the church right now is absolutely insane. But you listen to me. We cannot let our focus be on how dark the world is. We got to let our focus be on how bright the church is going to shine. You precious people are God's people. 
This is God's church. And God's going to take care of his church. I shouldn't have to preface anything. Okay? I shouldn't have to, but I'm going to. And I want to be crystal clear. My boots are planted in the dirt. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. So let me say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. This is where God put me. This is where I'm going to pastor. It's where I'm going to live. It's where I'm going to raise my family. But I want you to listen to me. The pressure on pastors is so great. Everywhere I go, I'm hearing men say, Brother, I just feel like I need to leave. Brother, I just feel like I need to go. Brother, I just feel like I need to quit and let somebody else come in. You mean to tell me that it just happens to be the people that I preach for that are feeling that? Or do you believe that all across this nation and around the world, the ministry is feeling the pressure just crushing? What are you going to do when you have to have that conversation with somebody that comes in and said, I was born a man. They're dressed a woman. Want to be baptized in Jesus' name. You gonna, you're just going to sit down? Woo. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm willing to pay what it's going to cost. You know what? This land will consume you. I used to think the children of Israel were afraid to lose, but they weren't. They were afraid to win. Because they knew when they walked in and God gave them what he promised. That they were going to have to keep what God had given them. And that's where the church gets to in the 21st century. We get to the edge of the greatest revival we've ever seen. And we start counting the cost because we realize that revival consumed. Church, listen, I'm not preaching from notes tonight. I'm here under the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you something. I felt in prayer this week. If you don't like it, that's all right. I'm going to love you. I'm still your pastor, and I'm going to love you. But I'm going to tell you, I felt, I felt in the Holy Ghost this week that God is going to start dealing with people that are going to start rearranging their entire lives around the kingdom of God and around this church. I'm just telling you what I felt in prayer. I saw houses going on the market and people moving their families Closer to the house of God. And I'm going to tell you why. They, I, this is what I felt. I, I saw it just as sure as I'm standing before you. I feel the angel of the Lord by me right now. I saw it. People saying, I want to be able to go to that church and pray every single day. And I saw for sale signs going in the yards of, of people's homes. And then move. Listen, this is not a strange thing. This happened in the word of God. They built their homes within a Sabbath day's journey of the synagogue where they worship. They said, we will never be so far from the house of God that we can't be there every single day of our lives. Hear me when I tell you, you may not see it right now, but there's going to come a day in this society where they're going to need the church on more than Sunday and Wednesday, and they're going to need the church every single day. I've got so much to preach that I'm never going to get to it tonight. But we got we, we, we to get some stuff off the table. God has let us hold the fruit of our inheritance. As we stand holding the fruit and the juice of it running out of the corners of our mouth, we say there's just no way we can ever do it. Well, I'm going to tell you. I felt overwhelmed the last few months. We've had a lot of things going, a lot of things moving. And I've been overwhelmed. But I'm going to tell you something I know tonight, Bishop. I know this much. The things we want to see God do in this church, getting this daycare off the ground, finding a place for our school to grow, finding a way to raise the funds and the budget so this can be the best school within driving distance anywhere. I'm going to tell you something. It's a little overwhelming. Because I look at the books. 
And I know what the bank account is. And I'm going to tell you, the revival that God has for this church is bigger than our checkbook. Believe what you want to. And I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm going to tell you what I've been telling myself every single day. I got up yesterday. I went in my living room. I got talking to the Lord, and I realized I better, I better be a little quieter. I'm going to wake my, my girls up. I grabbed myself by the nap of the neck, and I walked in that room. I said, I'm going to have revival in this city. God's going to build a church in this city. Devil, there ain't one thing you can do about it. We're going to see great harvest. We're going to see great, great revival. Well, Brother St. Clair, there's probably a lot of people upset about the hey, I'm going to tell you, there's always going to be upset people. But I'm, I'm not here to upset people. I'm here to upset the devil. And I'm here to let the devil know that there ain't one thing he can do about the promises of God that's on his people. I'll have to get to what I was going to preach to you tonight some other time. But this is what I know. God is about to take the fear of winning off of some of us. There are people in this room tonight that have been this close to stepping out by faith and obeying God. And to be 100% honest, you weren't afraid that God was going to fail. You were afraid that God was going to show up and you were going to have to obey what he told you to do and walk by faith. There's people in this room that have been fighting, being baptized in Jesus' name. Because you're afraid of what your family's going to say. There's people in here that's been, been afraid to get the Holy Ghost because you're afraid. You mean you're one of them tongue talkers, but God is about to help you break the fear of winning? And you're going to throw your head back and smile and say, oh yeah, baby, I'm one of them. I've been washed in the blood. I've been filled with the Spirit. Listen, I, I, I can't go into detail tonight, but I'm going to tell you about the goodness of the Lord. I'm not here to preach about revival that's coming. I'm telling you, revival's here now. It's happening right now. There are people that are asking questions about the Godhead and people that are asking questions about the new birth that at one time I thought they hated us and they didn't want their family to have anything to do with this. But God's been moving on their spirit and they've been saying, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what God is doing. Hey, I'm telling you, revival's here, but it's going to consume us. It's a land. It's a land that eats up its inhabitants. And church family, if we're going to have it, we're not going to have it on 15 minutes of prayer or an hour of prayer a week. Mm. I was in a conversation just this week. And I'm fixing to make Brother Jordan, Sister Kate's belly turn probably. Hers has been turning anyway. <laughs> We're going to step things up. I had a man approach me and he said, I've been praying about this. We've talked about it in the past, how we, how we ever do prayer here all the time. He said, Brother St. Clair, do you guys have a, the system like they have in Little Rock where people check in prayer? I said, no. He said, the woman that wrote the program is in my church. He said, we can get you set up. You know what's coming? God's about to set it up in this church where people start building their lives around it. We're, we're, listen, I'm calling tonight. It's summertime. I know that. This probably sounds strange. But I'm calling for a commitment from this church like I've never called for in my life, like I've never called for as your pastor. And I'm going to tell you that God... Is getting ready to start turning some things around. Some of you that have been having a hard time praying 15 minutes. Something's about to come alive in you. And you're going to start getting lost in seasons of prayer. Woo! There's some things that's fixing to start breaking out in your homes. I'm telling you, God's going to start moving in your homes, at your tables. 
You're going to pull out your Bible and start having Bible studies in your home. And God's going to fill your living room with people. I'm prophesying to you in the name of Jesus. And God's going to make it. I don't know how yet. I don't have it all figured out. But God's going to help us. And we're going to get an electronic key system figured out. A fob system of some kind. And we're going to have this church available 24 hours a day. For people to be here and pray. And seek the face of God. I'm not satisfied all summer to be here two days a week. This is going to be a house of prayer. And God's going to fill this place. Oh, God. God's going to help us. I don't know what the system looks like. And I don't know how many walled cities we're going to have to conquer. But I'm telling you, God's going to awaken it in this church. We're going to see it in the name of Jesus. I feel that rearranging in the Holy Ghost tonight. If you're willing in this place tonight to let the Lord interrupt, interfere, interject anything that he wants in your life, I want you to stand across this congregation and say, Lord, whatever you're doing, I don't want you to do it without me. There's been some folks that God's been dealing with you about moving your family closer to this church. You're not afraid that your house is not going to sell. You're afraid that it's going to sell and you're going to be forced to move. We've got a fear of winning because when God starts dealing with people, he's already got a plan. I wish I could have preached it to you out of Exodus tonight. But God has got a plan. And I want you to hear me tonight. It's time that we start asking God for big things. Oh, my God, my God, my God, my God. God, I want you to help me destroy my fear of winning. Because if it consumes me, then let me be consumed with revival. I'm not going to do this part-time, and I'm not going to do this two days a week. I'm fixing to marry myself to this thing, and I'm going to be married to it seven days a week. 365 days a year, it's going to consume me. I'm not, just, I'm not here to just be a part-time lover with God. I'm here to betroth myself to him. I'm here to let him know, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'll do it. 